today's passage is called Watchfulness. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Thanks, Jan. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all here this morning. My name is Daryl. I'm one of the pastors here. A special welcome if you're visiting us this morning. Uh, Please keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 48, page 1620, if you've accidentally closed your Bibles. And please remember, there'll be a time for questions after the talk. Well, before we get into God's Word this morning... We please join me as I pray for God's help as we look at this passage together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible, that helps us understand you and how you want us to live in light of who you are and what you have done for us. Heavenly Father, please help me to speak your word clearly this morning. And we pray that you'll give us ears to hear and minds to understand your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Do you remember when you were at school and what happened when the teacher left the classroom? 
Well, depending on what school you went to, the, the classroom was either just a little bit more chatty, a little, a little bit more distracted, or it became absolute mayhem and chaos. You know, things being set alight, people being beaten up. How about at work, when the big boss is away on holidays? What happens? Well, we have people easing back, you know, putting things into neutral, and just relaxing and coasting. But what happens when the teacher comes back? And it's, you know, it's hey, sir's coming, sir's coming, and everything's put back to normal. And what happens when the big boss comes back? Well, everyone lifts their game. What is it with us that we tend to slack off when someone else is not around? You know, for us, when it comes to being a Christian, well, we're in the in-between time of Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And God's word says that we need to be ready as opposed to slacking off and becoming complacent. Now the thing is, Jesus said he was coming back again. And that was 2,000 years ago. And he hasn't turned up yet. And it seems like the probability of him turning up before you die doesn't seem very high. And we're thinking it's, it's more likely that I'm going to die first than him turning up. That's what it feels like. But imagine for a moment that by the time this sermon ends, Jesus appears. And if that was the case, and you knew for certain that he was going to come back in the next 22 minutes... What would you have wished you had done differently before he comes back? What would you have liked to have put right before that happened? So whether you're going to go to Jesus or Jesus goes, comes to you, well, let me ask you, are you ready to see him? Our passage this morning is all about what it means for us to be ready for Jesus, just like we saw in the kids' talk. And this morning we're going to see three lessons. Firstly, we're going to see a lesson on readiness. Then secondly, a lesson on faithfulness. And thirdly, a lesson on accountability. Uh, but before we get into these three points, um, just a little bit of context. Um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and in this chapter... He's been teaching the disciples, what, and, and the crowds are listening in as well. He's talking about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And part of that, well, Jesus wants them to know that what it means to be ready for his coming kingdom. And he does that by telling a parable of servants waiting for their master, coming back from a wedding banquet. And so we see in verse 35... That to be ready for these servants, verse 35, are to be dressed ready for service to keep their lamps burning. You see, these servants aren't slacking off. But they're doing what they're meant to be doing in preparation for the arrival of their master. But then the parable takes a surprising twist. 
As we see in verse 37, that the master, being overjoyed in their preparations, being overjoyed in their readiness in waiting for him, or the master turns around and becomes a servant to them. Please read verse 37 with me. It says, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. So here we see a a role reversal, where the master gets changed into serving clothes, where he's taking off the bow tie and the tux, and he puts on the apron, and he's serving the servants while they're reclining at the table. Uh, Now for us, it just seems to us that's a really nice gesture that the master is doing that for his servants. But for the people listening to Jesus' words back then, this role reversal is almost unthinkable. What master would ever dress like a servant or invite his slaves to sit down at his own feast? Well, the answer, of course, is Jesus. In Jesus, we see the master of the universe, the Lord of all creation, come down to serve his people, where he would wear the weakness of his people by taking on the flesh of humanity. And Jesus would strip his robes off to wash the feet of his disciples. And he would ultimately serve them by becoming their substitute by dying on the cross for their sins. You see, Jesus is the master in this parable. Now at this point, it's important to ask, is this parable about Jesus' first coming? Or is it his second coming that is being talked about here? Now the fact is, there has actually been lots of discussion among scholars who think it's one or the other. And as I've wrestled with this passage this week, I actually think it's more complex than it just being just one or just the other. Because on one level, I reckon it's primarily about Jesus' first coming. You see, Jesus is helping his original disciples to be more prepared for the impending crisis of his crucifixion. You see, it wouldn't make sense for Jesus to talk to his disciples primarily about his second coming, as they didn't even understand that Jesus was going to die for their sins, or let alone rise from the dead and return to heaven. Besides, a command to be ready for his second coming wouldn't come into effect until he had ascended into heaven anyway. So that's why I think for the disciples, hearing these words for the first time, it's primarily for them to get ready for Jesus to arrive when he comes back after the dead. As he arrives in his resurrected form, he resurrected body, as the risen king of the world on that, last, on that third day. But having said all that, for us, well, there's that second level, 
where the implications for us to be ready for Jesus is actually slightly different. Because you see, we live after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So those principles of being ready are applied to us in relation to Jesus' second arrival. When he'll bring his kingdom here on earth when he returns and he'll bring his kingdom completely. You see, we're kind of cross-eyed as followers of Jesus now with one eye on the cross and one eye on his return. And that's how we're to live. That's how we're to live life now. And we're to wonder every day, is it today, Lord? And that's how we're to be thinking as a child of God. Mindful that every choice I make, mindful that I have been completely forgiven of my sins, but mindful that my choices matter. And I also have to give an account. Now, the other point that Jesus makes with this parable is that his arrival will be unexpected. And Jesus likens his arrival like a thief in the night, where you don't know the hour when he'll come. And that's the thing about thieves. They don't give you a warning when they're coming. There's no heads-up text. There's no notification. So for us, we're to be ready, like the disciples, and being ready well, not just by waiting in a, in a passive way, but in an active way. You see, it's not like being in the doctor's waiting room, where you just pass the time by you know, reading a magazine or playing games on your phone. You see, this time for waiting isn't time wasting. Instead, it's to be fully engaged in the work that he has to, for us to do. And so that is being involved in the work of, that builds his kingdom. Whether it's being involved in ministries here at church or being involved in uh, event, personal evangelism or just being involved in just growing personally as a disciple of Jesus. Because like the servants in the parable, we're servants too. And that means devoting our lives in serving the Master. Now the thing is, it's easy for us to think that, well, because Jesus hasn't come back yet, it, it feels like the absent teacher or the absent boss. And we can be tempted just to drift. And in those times, our faith can at times wane, or our effort can decline, or our commitment slowly vanish. Our devotion to God's word and prayer and self-discipline can be edged out by the things of this world. So one motive for us to be ready is to remember that the end is just around the corner, and when it comes, it will come suddenly, and unexpectedly. And it will be impossible then to prepare. But more than that, as we've seen in the parable, the master we serve is the master who serves us. And when we actually get this, we can see what a blessing it is to serve a master who's like that. 
You see, Jesus had worn the garments of our servitude. He served us by giving up his life for us. And because of his service at the cross, well, he has invited us to sit down at that future banquet table in heaven. When we truly understand the kind of master we're serving, it will give us the motivation to put the effort in for us to be ready for his return. Now, the second lesson that we see in this passage is a lesson in faithfulness. And here Peter asks a question about that first parable, and uh, what's been told, um, please check out verse 41. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Now, Jesus doesn't answer this question directly. But instead, he actually tells a second parable. And this time it's about the manager of the servants. The one who's responsible for giving the other servants their food allowance while the master's away on business. And the first part of this parable shows that this particular manager, well, he was faithful with what he had to do. And because of that, he was blessed now to be in charge of all of the master's possessions. You see, faithfulness is a life of obedience, a life of carrying out the responsibility of serving others. And that results in reward. You see, you won't be disappointed if you've been faithful. Uh, Now the food allowance here is is a metaphor for giving spiritual nourishment through teaching. So at one level, well, Jesus' parable answers Peter's question in a way that says that, yes, Jesus is talking to the 12 disciples. And by implication, everyone else who has a role of spiritual oversight over others. And so this call to be faithful and the blessings that go with that, that applies to just people like, not just me who's a pastor, but to other people like our elders, our growth group leaders, our kids' church teachers, youth group leaders, scripture teachers. But there's actually a wider application. The the principle being faithful with what you have and using it for others, what's the principle that's applied to everyone? Because, Because God has given us the responsibility to help others with the resources that we have and the gifts that God has given us. So in this way, we're to exercise good stewardship, using what God has given us for the benefit of others. And that the master entrusts his goods to the manager with the expectation that the manager will use them to feed others and not simply to stuff himself. And in the same way, God has given us so many blessings so that we can use them for others, not only for ourselves. If you're a faithful steward of your possessions, well, from the parable we see, you gain the master's reward. Now, if Jesus ended the parable just there, or if it was a simply illustrated faithfulness, 
But the rest of the parable opens other responses by those who are called to serve. And so what we see next, what if the, the, serpent, the servant decides that the master will be gone for a long time? And so we see in the parable, instead of caring for the other servants, he does the exact opposite by beating them up and abusing them, as well as squandering his master's assets, selfishly indulging in all kinds of excess consumption. What will the master do when he returns unexpectedly? Or we see in the parable, he will punish that servant. And that brings us to our last lesson, the lesson on accountability. You see, the principle that we see in the section from verses 46 to 48 says, you're accountable with what you know, and your judgment will be exercised accordingly. Now, in these verses, there's three punishments dished out according to the knowledge held by each person. So in the instance of this manager who does the absolute opposite of what was commanded of him, well, his punishment, if you read there, is he's going to be cut into two and assigned a place with the unbelievers. The more knowledge we have, the greater our responsibility and the greater our guilt. And so, well, by sheer logic, the, the worst punishment of all will be church leaders who should have known better but were still unfaithful to God. But let's take a step back. If you have any authority anywhere in your life, whether you here are a boss or a manager or a parent or a grandparent or a teacher or a firstborn child, let alone a pastor, if you neglect at the very least or abuse at the very most, there are serious consequences. And can I say for all those priests and all those pastors who said on Sunday, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will return again, but then on Monday evening were molesting kids, abusing those under their care. Well, the master of that servant will come on that day that they don't expect and he'll cut them into pieces and assign them to a place with the unbelievers. Every victim of abuse who may be here today, they need to know this truth. Unrepentant abusers will not get away with it. They might have escaped the Royal Commission or may have escaped the loophole in the courts, but no unrepentant abuser will get away with it with God. Jesus is coming back. And God wants you to know that he's got your back. And he'll make things right. Because he always does. You see, because Jesus is coming back, it changes Everything. The key question for us from this passage is this. 
If you knew Jesus will come back in the next week or your doctor says you've, you only have one week to live, will you live in the same way as you do now? Will you be using your money, your resources, your time in the same way you do now? Will you relate to your parents or your siblings or your friends or your colleagues in the same way you do now? It's a good question. Because if the answer is no, then the reality is you're not ready, are you? And if you're not ready, then God's word to you this morning is this. Change and do it now. And start living in light of his imminent return. Because we need to be ready always. And not just in the last two minutes. So whatever it is for you, whether it's to be more generous, or to be reconciled with someone, or to talk to someone to help you get rid of that habitual sin that you've been wanting to get rid of, or to give up an idol that you know is an idol in your life. Whatever it is, God's word is saying, do it now. Do it today. Well, the sermon is finished. And Jesus hasn't come back. Oh well. And yet, I'm kind of glad. Because I've got people I love. And you've got people who you love. Who don't know Jesus yet. And who won't be ready. And the New Testament is very clear that the reason why Jesus is delaying is because he desires all people to be saved. And it's in his patience and mercy that delays him from coming back now. So I'm going to say thank you, Jesus, for not coming back. But I want you to come back. But I also don't want you to come back. There's a push-pull experience. But there's some of us here that if today, I was going to say, from what the passage is saying, is for us to live as if today is your last day on this earth. So whether you, you need to put things right, or you, there's things you need to know you need to change and do differently, I can encourage you to put it right before the sun sets today. But can I say, if you're here today and you're thinking, no, I'm not ready to meet Jesus, because I don't have a relationship with him yet. Then can I say, let today be the day that you do something about it. If that's you, chat to myself or Carmen or Peter M. If you want to find out more about having a living relationship with Jesus and to be part of that heavenly banquet that will never end. This morning we've seen from God's word that because we live this side of the cross, we're to be ready and faithful as we wait for his coming. What are you going to do this week? Or what are you going to do today to help you 
get ready for Jesus' return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. First, that you sent your Son to serve us with his life. That he took, he took the punishment for our sins that we deserved. And he took that at the cross. We thank you that he's been raised from the dead and that he's ascended to the right hand in heaven. And we thank you for the promise that he'll come back one day to bring about the fullness of your kingdom. Heavenly Father, we confess for those times when we have got slack, when we have become complacent and not lived our lives in light of your return. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will grow us in our perspective of our lives that you empower us by your Holy Spirit to make the changes in our lives, to strengthen our trust in you, that we may live rightly as we wait for your return. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.